Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Oliver Manalise Show. I am your host, Oliver Manalise, and this is a show where we explore the defining moments of purpose-driven leaders, the adversity behind the triumph, the breakdowns before the breakthroughs, and the moments of truth we can all learn from and apply in our own lives. Today we have the powerful Hannah Beer on the show. I connected with Hannah before our interview together and really resonated with her story, her passion, and her commitment to helping women transform their lives. I knew she'd offer incredible value to you, and I'm really excited to share this interview. If you don't know her, Hannah helps ambitious women heal deeply and create beautiful and successful lives. She is a soulful success coach, an energy healer, and family constellation therapist. Now she's actually a published author. Her new book is out and it's called Unlimited, How to Overcome Your Past and Live a Life Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. It is now out. You can grab yourself a copy at hannabeer.com slash book. That is H-A-N-N-A-B-I-E-R.com slash book. If you have big goals and feel overwhelmed with how and where to start, Hannah's book, Unlimited, is a practical step-by-step guidebook for you to release your inner blocks and manifest the life of your dreams. Just like you, she is somebody who's felt anxious, felt small at points, and she knows the pain of being stuck in life not and being in a life that doesn't work for you, even though you're called to a much greater vision. Working with Hannah, she will help you release any blocks that are holding you back and move you into a gorgeous, freedom-based life you'll love. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to present to you my conversation with Hannah Beer. Welcome to another episode of The Oliver Manalise Show. I am your host, Oliver Manalise, and it is with pleasure that I am joined here with the wonderful Hannah Beer. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, we A couple of months ago, we had a conversation on the phone about being on the show. And in a very short conversation, I felt uh, like I got, I got to see you and I got to know you in a way. You just seem like you're very willing to be vulnerable and truthful about who you are and your story. And um, for the people listening, that's really what I'm interested in. I'm interested in in having people come coming onto the show who are um, open, open and willing to expose aspects of themselves, just so that we have that um, that extra level of, I think, relatedness and also kind of that that ability to see ourselves in the other person. And if it's possible for Hannah, then it's possible for us too. That's kind of what I'm going for here. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here. So for for the people who are tuning in today, could you share a little bit about who you are and all the amazing things that you are doing and, and sharing with the world? I'd love that. So I'm an energy healer and family constellation therapist. I work with really ambitious people. It's mostly women and a handful of really wonderful men. And all of my clients have in common that they have really big, big, big goals for their lives. And as an energy healer and family constellation therapist, I basically look at my clients and I think, what are the inner wounds and emotional traumas that are keeping them from really being able to take their dreams and make it tangible reality? So the results that my clients tend to get are multiplied incomes or 
falling in love with their perfect mate or being afraid to travel around the world or becoming magnets for money, like all those external results. But the, my specialty, like the thing that I'm so passionate about is to really help people heal. Because I found that it's about 80% healing and then 20% action strategy that gets people from a life that feels really painful and isn't working into a life that's all around beautiful and really healthy. Healing is something that is so necessary in this world right now. I, um, I come across so many people who face so many different challenges. And if only we could, you know, have support like from someone like you to, to look into those wounds and those um, challenges. It's so, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how some people can consider doing it by themselves. I just find it so important to, uh, to be able to reach out and ask for support. So I'm so glad that uh, you're here doing what you do. It's really an honor. I'm so honored every single day that I get to do this. It's amazing. So I would love to know. So we're going to get into, you know, the work that you do and how you got here. Um, but the first thing I would love to know is the role spirituality has played in your life. Mm, that's a really good question. So the role it plays in my life today is a very big one. Um, it feels like it weaves throughout every single aspect of my life, but it hasn't always been that way. Um, when I was younger, I was really disconnected, but at the same time, I was clairvoyant. So all my life, I've always seen energy. And I just thought that other people were a little bit lost in their daydreams and that they didn't really pay attention because I kept talking about things that other people couldn't see. You know, for example, I remember being in school and looking at the different numbers on the buses. And I remember saying, oh, it's so interesting how like every number has a color attached to it, don't you think? And my friends turned around and were like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, what? A three is clearly red. A four is clearly green. A one is a little bit yellow, but more towards the spectrum of white. And I thought people were just kind of blind. It was so real to me. And so all my life, I've seen spirits and ghosts and colors and auras. And I just did not think that that was something spiritual at all. I just kind of thought, well, I don't know. Maybe I just have really good eyes. And so for most of my life, I was not tapped in at all. And then when I started um, as a life coach and then as a therapist and now an energy healer, it's just kind of started building over time. So now I'm fully tapped in again, and it's really amazing. Tell me what that's like to, to experience these things and everybody else looking at you and they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it really was. Because I, I don't see that, right? Like, I mean, that's my, my everyday living is not seeing uh, auras and energies and colors. I could definitely, I, I definitely feel things a lot more, but um yeah, I think, you know, when you're at a young age and you're, and you're like excited about it or you're talking about it and people are um, completely unaware, they're not seeing what you're seeing. I, I can't imagine what that's, what that's like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just kind of always thought it was no big deal. I just thought it was everybody else was kind of preoccupied. I didn't think I had anything special at all. And then when I first entered the self-development world and I heard people talk about being psychic and stuff, and then somebody said, oh, you're very psychic, you know, because you see, like, you know, because I, I, I can read people's energies and I kind of know what's going on with them. And I can even go into people's ancestries and 
read some stuff and I, I, it's just so obvious to me. And I, I just, it took some time for me to even stumble upon the concept of being psychic. Cause that wasn't really on my radar for most of my life. And then somebody called me psychic. I was like, I'm definitely not psychic, you know, cause all those things are very real. You know, they're as real as like, I'm right now I'm sitting in my office I'm sitting at a bright yellow desk. This is how real all those things look to me and how clearly I hear things and see things. It's so tangible to me. And so I thought, well, it clearly can't be psychic because psychic being psychic has more to do with magic, right? <laughs> and so I was in complete denial for a long time because I also didn't really think that what I had was special. It just felt so second nature to me. And then as I started um, growing my business and I had more clients, I started to notice you know, that maybe it was time to start sharing some things. So at first I started saying, you know, like that, that thing in your tummy, like, do you feel that? And they're like, yeah, it's a thing. I'm like, oh, okay. It's like related to your mom. And they're like, yeah, how do you know that? And I'm like, okay. So like you have this thing going on there. And my clients were like, wow, this is so cool that you can see those things that I feel in my body. So then I started opening up to the idea of using that ability that I had to read my clients as a way to monitor how the healings were going. So that when I'm in session with a client, it's not that I'm kind of just guessing if something is working, but I can actually see it. You know, I can see if a block releases, I can see if a healing takes place and also kind of anticipate how long it would take for a client to get a certain result. And that to me created a lot more confidence in my own ability because it just felt like I had more information. How do you respond to clients or just anybody who like reject, reject that idea or resist or are resistant to it? Yeah, I totally get that. So I, I once heard a story and I thought it was so cool. I heard the story that when electricity was first invented, people didn't believe in it, which makes so much sense because we can't touch it. It's like this thing that flows through wires. I mean, it's witchcraft. Of course it's witchcraft. How can you believe in something like that? Are you crazy believing in electricity? And yet we notice the results of electricity are so tangible, you know, like a light bulb going on. It's so hard to deny. And it's the same with Wi-Fi, you know? I'm sure many people didn't believe in Wi-Fi in the 90s. I mean, how can you believe in the internet? Like, you can't touch it. What is this? And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody Googles or sends an email. It's a very tangible result that we can then observe. So I noticed that when somebody comes to me and they're really skeptical, they're usually in the last resort. So usually they've heard from a, from a friend of theirs or from a family member or on a podcast and they kind of have this feeling inside of them, okay, whatever this Hannah chick is doing, I just want to explore that. So usually they come to me and they say, I don't believe in what you do at all. And yet it just feels like I've tried all those things and they haven't been working. And as soon as my clients start to get results, that belief shifts. So I feel like it's so reasonable and completely understandable to not believe in it if you haven't seen any results from it. Yeah, I like the way that you put that because, I mean, I can only imagine how, how much uh, people who are challenged and they've tried so many different things, but it sounds like they get to the point where they're like, they're open to anything, even though they might be skeptical. And, um, like w one take that I do have when it comes to, um, anything that is kind of outside of our comfort zone or outside of the realm of, of the known for me is, is kind of looking at it as this is just a 
it's just a path to walk. Like you don't have to, maybe you don't have to believe in some of these things, but what happens when you just walk this path with me and you just find out what you can uncover yourself walking on this path? You don't have to believe it, but like, what is your experience of it? What is your, what are you gaining from it as you walk on this path? And I think um, coming at it from that point is kind of like, you don't have to uh, cling or attach yourself to well this is what I believe but it's more like well you know I've I've walked with Hannah on this path and this is what you know this is what I've gained from it and that's the the best the best thing I could say is here's the results I love that Oliver I once was asked by someone so all those things that you believe like all that hippy dippy airy fairy stuff <laughs> I love it when people say that because it's truly hippy dippy and airy fairy and it's also very tangible I was like yeah thank you so much for your perspective you're right on <laughs> and um you know that person asked me and said well what if everything you believe in is just complete baloney it's not real at all and you're all you're just making it up and I'm like oh so you mean it's like a it's just um what's this effect called just escaped me um, where people take medicine that's not really medicine. Placebo. That's placebo, yeah. And I was like, oh, is it like a placebo effect? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, it's the best solution. If everything I believe in is a complete hoax and I get all those results, I would still keep going my way, you know, because this <laughs> makes me happy. It, it heals a lot of people. You know, if all of this is a hoax, I would still do it. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you opened up with it, because you just kind of like you just went right at it, you know, because so much of the conversation that you um, are are revolved around is is around energy healing and around connection to spirit. So I appreciate you opening up about that. Um, So you're you're it sounds like you're really aware, you're really in tune and you're, uh, maybe it sounds, I think it's also recent that you've started really owning this for yourself. Um, can you, can you share with us what the journey has been for you? Like what have been the, the defining moments throughout your life that you feel like when you look back, you can connect the dots and say, wow, this contributed to who I've become and, and what it is that I'm doing and sharing with the world right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I look back, it really does feel like I kind of fell into my business. It's not really something I chose at all. And when I really started to open up to the idea that I would be a healer professionally, um, I had so much resistance because I had many negative beliefs about the coaching industry. And I didn't want to be like that. and didn't want to be a social media influencer. And I just wanted to do it. Like what? I'm sorry to interrupt. Like what? Yeah. So I love, I I would love to know. I had a very sassy attitude when I started. So my, okay, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So I, for most of my life, I struggled with PTSD and anxiety disorder, um, crippling depression. I was suicidal by the age of 14 and severely anorexic. I did not expect to, to get very far in life. I just kind of thought, you know, at some point I'm just going to pass away young because people like me usually don't make it. And I just had a really, really, really hard time as a child. And then when I was 14, I started therapy. And for the first time, it felt like I had somebody in my life who was invested in me graduating from high school and doing this life thing. And it felt very strange because until that point, I was like, I'm, I'm all alone. You know, there's nobody really here who's invested in me even existing. 
And then when I had this therapist, she was the first person who really was invested in my well-being. So for her, I chose to keep on going and therapy didn't necessarily help me heal. And after our relationship ended, because when I turned 18, she was a children's therapist, we couldn't continue working together. So I moved to a new town, um, started university, still had all the same problems, was still you know, really struggling. And I started to see a couple of different therapists. And the message that I got was, oh, we looked at your case file. Your case is too severe. We can't help you. So the first belief that I got from that experience was psychology doesn't work you know, and people like me cannot be fixed. So that was my first big skepticism that I had towards self-development, healing, and all those things in the first place. At what point are you so severe that you can't, that they recognize you as not being able to be helped? Yeah. I mean, what they suggested was be on medication, don't have high hopes for your life. Um, you know, maybe go to a closed institution, something like that. And my idea was that I really wanted to be better than that. I didn't just want to be hooked on medication for my entire life. And I also, at the time, I just didn't know that there was an alternative at all. You know, I had been in therapy for so long and all those so-called experts told me that nothing could be done. And I just kind of thought to myself, well, I guess it's just my fate. Is this something that's in your family or have you like, what, what, ha- what happened? Like what were the sources for you when you look back? So now looking back, I feel like I have a better grasp on it. So my, both of my families on my mom's and on my bad, dad's side have experienced a ton of trauma on my mom's side. It was the trauma of world war two and world war one because my grandparents were refugees from Eastern Europe and came to Germany. And then my dad's side also has German ancestry, but there's a lot of American army trauma on that side. And then there's a lot of abuse and addiction. And um, both of my families have been very poor. So just struggling for survival. And on the American side, the only way you could get out would be through joining the army. And it was just like this, this, um, this cycle of struggle on both sides. And when I first started learning about family constellations, my therapist said that a lot of my mental health issues, that it felt like I was born with them, was a lot of trauma that was passed down from previous generations. And that to me made a lot of sense because I had tried everything to heal it. And it just felt like I was still in like this grip of these invisible hands that kept me feeling so terrible about myself. And so to recognize that my, the biochemistry of my body is influenced by previous generations and what they've experienced, that was a huge breakthrough for me. So this was one thing of what influenced my mental health and caused it to be this way. And then the other thing was that I, I just experienced some really difficult things when I was when I was young, like my mom was struggling. She wasn't really able to take care of me. There's a lot of aggression in my family. I went to school with, you know, bleeding lip and bruises all over my body. And I oftentimes just didn't eat. And I I developed um, selective mutism, which is when children are so traumatized, 
that they lose the ability to speak. So for a long time, I think for two and a half years, I, I actually wasn't able to speak when I was a child. Um, you know, just things like that. And then I experienced sexual abuse for the first time at seven. So it just felt like all the things that could go wrong to a child in the Western world, like all those things happened to me. And I looked around myself when I was younger and I thought, how come I have such a hard time and everybody else has parents who take care of them and I don't. And I just kind of thought to myself, I don't know how to do this life thing. Like what's even the point? Unbelievable. Yeah, it was definitely a really rough time. Yeah, well, to to experience that and to have that type of you know origin story, I can't even. I can't even. I have no words. To, it's it's heartbreaking that people. I mean, people who are listening to this, I you know there's a lot of us who've experienced. Um, challenges, traumas, growing up. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you sharing and letting us in on, on your, your backstory. Thank you, Oliver. So one of the things that I've become really passionate about is to talk about all those things that we usually don't talk about that really, really influence us. And that's the whole theme of family constellation therapy. In family constellation therapy, we talk about things like war trauma. We talk about things like your ancestors having died in childbirth. We talk about you being born prematurely, a sibling dying, abortions. We talk about things like sexual abuse, murder. We also talk about um, dynamics that aren't as severe, like being too close to a parent or a parent being a little bit absent, you know, but most of our family systems have some very severely dysfunctional patterns and then we go into the healing world and we try to meditate them away or we try to do some hypnosis. And it's just that we're not really working on the correct layer. And when I started to learn some things about psychology, I kind of noticed like, how come we all know that so many of our issues come from our childhood and family system? And yet hardly any one of us has the tools to really address that and, and heal that without just talking about it and letting it sit, you know, because most of us need more than just talking about it. We need actual tangible healing. And so part of why I feel so honored that I now get to share my story, because I know that so many people have similar dynamics going on in their lives. And it might seem like such a dark thing that we don't even really know how to address it. Well, it's also like, you know, when you were saying, that you see energy and auras and you see numbers and they have colors and things like that. You were just like, this is just kind of how I saw things. It was kind of normal. It it wasn't anything special. I think a lot of us walk around um, and not recognizing how much pain we've actually endured and how much our, how much pain our families have endured because it's normal to us. Exactly. We I think we're kind of unconscious. Is that do you do you find that as uh, in your in your clients, or did you find that with yourself, where you're just like, wow, this is actually this is actually messed up for a little kid to be experiencing this. Like this is not this is not a healthy way to grow up and to live. 
Yeah. One of the hardest things is the whole questioning about it, where you think, well, what I experienced wasn't as bad as my neighbor's experience. And, you know, I'm strong now, so I survived it and it's not so bad. And we kind of distort our own view of what really happened to us. And we do this most of mostly because we don't know how to do it, how to do it differently. It's basically like we want to take the trauma that we've experienced and just kind of get comfortable with it because we think, well, I can't resolve it anyway. So I might as well learn to live with it. Do you find people um, minimize it or, and, and as well, do you find that some people um, kind of resist acknowledging it and, and declaring that, yeah, this is, you know, this is a wound, this is trauma. Like this is um, what happened to me was wrong and what was done to me was wrong. Um, do you find that people kind of resist that in, in, in a way to kind of protect the, the image that they have of their story. Cause you know, a lot of people will legitimize it and say, well, I ended up fine. I am, I ended up stronger because of it. And um, it's tough to make our parents wrong. Yeah. Oh, um, I love that question. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I do definitely see that people try to downplay what happened to them. And many people also really forget what happened the amount of times that my clients come to me and they'll say, I know something really bad happened. I seriously don't remember it. It's another trauma response. And let me just, for everybody who's like, you know, I kind of want to um, give you guys the definition of trauma so we can all kind of be on the same page because many of you listeners who might be sitting here thinking, well, what's trauma? Did I experience trauma? Does this count as trauma? So my definition of trauma is any event that severely stopped the flow of your life or dramatically redirected it. Yeah. So do you, do you, do you find that some people have normalized it or aren't in tune with it? Cause I can tell you like how many people um, I've worked with who are in so much pain, but they're so used to it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like anything. I so get that. And I do see that a lot as well. Yeah. And they connect it, with it. It's the it's, difficult part of resiliency. Cause it's difficult to see like, is it resiliency or am I just tolerating a lot of pain? Yeah, it's almost like, you know, when people who are like gluten intolerant and they stop eating bread all of a sudden and their belly goes down and the bloatedness goes down and they're just like, oh, is, that how I'm, is this how I'm supposed to feel? I thought it was normal to be inflamed and, and, and always be bloated. Exactly. And something I noticed in my own life was because of the fact that I have so much depth and it's great for me in my business because I've yet to have a client whose story shocked me. I've yet to have a client where I was like, oh, this is out of my, this is out of my ballpark. I can't help you. It's too crazy what, you, what you've experienced. I, I kind of feel like I've experienced so much stuff that it's hard to kind of top what I've experienced. It's given me a lot of depth and a lot of, um, you know, like a big capacity to hold people's faith. And it's helpful for me in my work and I've also noticed that it's, it has been blocking me in, in my life in a big way because I oftentimes didn't notice that I was in a very unhealthy situation until very much later on. Because I was in a situation, it felt completely fine because my, my, um, my ability to tolerate pain was so high. So other people would have already been in, in severe discomfort and I was totally cool. You know, for example, in friendships, having had a friend who was really gossipy and naggy and negative. And I was like, oh, it's totally fine. Like nobody can phase me. Like I'm always cool. And then in hindsight, I was like, well, why did I get myself into this situation in the first place? 
you know, or I used to always do a lot of adventure sports and travel to really dangerous countries. I used to live in Bali, which is a third world country. And I was like, oh, this is totally fine. And that was just because I had such a high tolerance to discomfort. And so for any of you guys who also who can also relate to that, who tend to downplay the trauma that you've experienced or just like, oh, I'm so strong, it's fine. Really think about your life circumstances. Where might you be tolerating a lot more pain just because you can Yeah, I think that's an important one for us to sit with. I think it's when we have the illusion that we already know that we're fine, then it stops all inquiry. And we just, we don't acknowledge a pain that might be there. That if we actually connected with it and we actually shine a light on it, we might realize that that's, it's enough pain to cause and catalyze a very significant change in our lives. But um, no, I think that's, that's super important. That is huge. Thank you for that. Whew, man, you, you cover a lot of stuff here. Um, can you, sh- so one of the things that I have experienced to be true is that our wounds are the womb for our gifts. Can you share how that insight lands for you? Cause it's, it seems like you're, you're very in touch with the wounds in your life and in your family. And, you know, you're doing something about it in a way where not only have you uh, done the work and have been healing yourself, you've found a way to do it for others. But how do you kind of, how, how does that resonate for you? I really love that. Our wounds are the womb for gifts. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first started researching psychology, it was right after I had made a choice because I thought to myself, okay, so all the psychologists say, you know, this thing that I have can't be fixed. It could be a medication, but you know, I shouldn't have very high hopes for my life. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I never made a decision to live. And at the time I was in university and I was partying and drinking and taking all the drugs that I could have. I hung out with very dubious people and I just didn't care about myself at all. I was very reckless. And at some point I just kind of got so tired of my bullshit. And I thought to myself, you're here complaining about not having any, you know, any prospects for your future. And yet you never even tried. And I remember coming home from a party. I quit drinking the same day, haven't done drugs since. And I just really decided to at least look into it and start to research. So I started researching psychology and I started looking into those things. And at the time I thought I was going to be in fashion. So I always kind of thought, you know, I could do a little bit, a bit of something because I don't really know what my life is going to look like. I still had the belief that I was going to die young. So I thought, well, I guess I might as well go to fashion school. And then I, I remember walking around in that little university town right after I started looking into psychology and studying some things for myself. And I kept hearing this voice of, you're supposed to do something bigger. You're supposed to go help people. So of course my first instinct was like, no. Tried (laughs) therapy stuff, talking about it does not help in the way that I would want it to help. And medication, it's not really a fix. It's a Band-Aid. And I thought, oh yeah, there is like the self-development stuff with all that hype and all those you know blonde (laughs) girls and in leggings and I'm not like them and it's all a hoax and that voice just kept kind of pushing me and saying no you need to just keep on going just keep on going I was like oh 
I don't know if this is for me at all. And then over time, I had so much resistance, Oliver, because I felt like I don't want to be a, a celebrity. It felt like every life coach that at that time wanted to be a celebrity. And that was like really my perspective of the industry. Um, and I was so critical of it. I was like, I don't never, ever, ever would, I would never do that. I would never want to take on clients and just, you know, play with their feelings. And I was on such a high horse. And then it just kind of kept pushing me. So I started signing up for uh, life coach training and I started doing a trauma training and I started um, getting clients and they just kind of fell into my lap. And then I started um, doing a family consultation therapy training and the energy healing training. And all of a sudden it just kind of, it started working so well and I still had all this resistance. And at some point um, I just kind of heard the soul of my business saying, you know, just get it together, Hannah. <laughs> I chose you so we could help those people stop making it about yourself. And that was like somebody slapped me across the face with a burning hot skillet and I really needed it because up until that point, it was all about me. It was all, but I don't want to do it. But who am I to do that? And I don't want to earn a lot of money. And who am I? And I can't do this. And I'm not good enough. And I don't want my photo on my website. And I don't want to go do speaking gigs or podcast interviews. It was all me, 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 me. And so now in hindsight, I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't choose any of this because I had no business choosing it. Like life prepared me to do this work. And it gave me a good, good training. I have to say, had some experiences <laughs> that taught me well. And who am I to now be basically a little brat who says, well, now I'm just going to throw away my education and not help all those people that are being sent my way. And so for me, it was like a really good teaching and humility, like set me back on my butt cheeks. And from there, I've just been doing my work with a lot more humility. Mm. So when you say our wounds are the womb for gifts, I do totally believe that it's a beautiful thing. And I, I, I think that, you know, um, there are a certain group of people in this world who are um, meant to hear that the message that you just shared, where, you know, it's, it's part of their path to listen to that call, listen to that whisper in, from their soul, from their intuition that's nudging them. Like, hey, you need to go serve people in this way. Like, look at, you know, all the life experiences and all the things you've gone through have been leading you, have been preparing you for this. And, um, you know, you just expressed it very, you know, very beautifully that, that it kind of chose you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that's so, um, you have to like let go a little bit. You have to kind of allow. And, you know, I, lo- I love you, you. You bring it up a lot uh, in, in your work that this didn't choose you. I'm sorry, you didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. Like you didn't want it. And, but then it kind of like kept, kept uh, nudging you forward. And uh, now here you are, you're working with so many, so many people and there's a huge host of uh, um, results and outcomes for, you know, financially, soulfully, you know, confidence and self-worth. There's so much. Um, but I, I w- would love for you to, open up the conversation about family constellations because you've touched you've touched on it but we don't have like a clear um definition of what it is and even when you introduced it to me in our first conversation uh it was the first time i I had ever heard about it and and to me it makes a lot of sense to look at it this way so please share with us yeah i'd love that so family constellation therapy is a healing modality that looks at a family system and identifies dysfunctional patterns 
and kind of resolves it. So as an energy healer, I look at a person's individual energy field. So I kind of look at what major defining moments have happened in their lives, where they're struggling, where things are not working. And it's like, instead of working with a person in family constellation therapy, we work on the entire family system. Um, so what does that mean? Oh, this is, it's, it's so exciting and so trippy. So <laughs> there is a thing called um, a morphic field and a lot of family constellation therapy is based on biology and epigenetics and all sorts of really cool sciences. And it's also a little bit experimental. So it has been developed over the course of many decades. Um, and it was influenced by many different schools of thought. And in biology, a morphic field is an energy field that organizes the behavior of a group of individuals. So when you see a flock of birds flying in a V formation, it's the morphic field of that group that imposes order on the individual so that they fly together as opposed to at random. The same is true in a wolf pack. So the reason why a wolf pack stays together and it's not just wolves, you know, in random places is because they have a group consciousness. That group consciousness in biology is called the morphic field. So the morphic field kind of has some information programmed into it. So the information for wolves, for example, is we need to move as a pack. The information in that morphic field is also there needs to be a hierarchy and we need to figure out this hierarchy. And when everybody is in the right role for them, the wolf pack functions in the most optimal way. It's like every single wolf knows here's where I belong. This is my role. This is where I fit. And when everybody is in the right place, every individual has the freedom to thrive in the best way. And so there's a lot of research um, being done in nature, and it's really interesting because humans have it too. So when you were born, you were born into the family consciousness of your family system, which in biology is called the morphic field. And again, there is a hierarchy. So you have your mom, you have your dad, and then there's you and your siblings, and there's a place for everyone. It's just that when traumas occur in the family system, it's kind of like the entire family system gets jumbled and people don't really know where they belong and weird patterns get established. And then the pattern of, for depression starts to run in the family system. And then there's a victim perpetrator um, dynamic going on or people start to um, abuse alcohol or become shopping addicts. So we basically look at the, at the morphic field of a family system. We kind of see how can we bring it back into order. What does that mean in, into order? Like, how do you know what order means? Do we have uh, two or three minutes for meditation? Because I could actually show it better than explain it. Whew, okay, let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to lead you through a very teeny weeny itty bitty meditation to for everybody to meet their family system. Because it's like what we talked about earlier. Do I have trauma? How severe is my trauma? How does it affect me? Same is true for family systems. Sometimes we don't know how screwed up our family systems really are and what's out of order. <laughs> so it's really helpful to actually see it. So one of my favorite things is to really show my clients so they can see for themselves. That's what we'll do today. So close your eyes and picture any room. Just let, allow a room to come to mind and then see yourself walk into the room and find a place to stand. Awesome. And then allow your biological mother to walk into the room Allow her to find a place to stand and then your biological dad as well. 
when he finds a place to stand. And by the way, it's totally okay if you've been adopted. Just kind of imagine your biological parents anyway. And for those of you whose parents have passed away or if you're out of touch with them, that's totally okay too. So the morphic field connects people even though they are not physically in the same location. This is one of the trippiest things. So I'm gonna give you a quick example. So this one time, uh, uh, a dog had children and before she gave birth, she, was, she got ran, ran over by a car, so she had a limp. And then the puppies were born and they all started limping too, uh, even though they didn't really need to limp. You know, So body-wise, they were totally fine and yet they followed their mom with the limp. And then it doesn't matter how far the puppies are away from the mom, the puppies kind of know what's going on with mom. So you can think of your family system as like this invisible web that connects you all. So even if somebody um, dies or if somebody moves away or if somebody's in jail, you guys are connected anyway. So now that you have yourself in the room and your mom and dad, also bring in your siblings. So allow your siblings to walk into the room and each one finds a place to stand. And for now, we're just gonna do the siblings who have the same mom and dad as you. So in the, these days, it's really awesome. Many of us have patchwork families and um, half siblings, and those are very important. But just to keep it short today, we're just gonna be working with the siblings who share the same parents. And then have a look around the room. Notice where everybody's standing. And you might already notice that there's an atmosphere in the room. You might already get some insights as to what, what might be going on with your family system. Okay, so this is how you're currently standing in your family system and we're going to reorganize you guys now so you know what a healthy um, order looks like. So just like in a wolf pack, the wolf pack is happiest and healthiest when there is a clear, clearly established order. And the same is true for humans. So if you're not already in the center of the room, picture yourself walking into the center. And then turn to face the side of the room that represents the future. It can be a painting, a window, an open wall, a door, anything that feels like it represents opportunity. All right, and then we're gonna have your mom walk up to you and she's gonna stand behind your left shoulder. So many of us have experienced some trauma with mom. So if it feels uncomfortable or unsafe for you to have mom behind you, that's totally okay. Picture um, a red circle around her on the floor. So we're creating a boundary so it feels a little bit safer to have her behind you. And then do the same with your dad, have him walk up to you and he's gonna stand behind your right shoulder. And again, that feels uncomfortable or unsafe. Draw a boundary around him on the floor. Your older siblings, have them walk up to you and they're going to stand to your left in one line with you. And your younger siblings are going to stand to your right. So you're in one line in front of your parents facing the future. Now, have your older siblings take just a tiny step forward. So they get to be a little bit ahead of you. They get to pave the way for you. 
Awesome. And then your younger siblings have them take a tiny step back. So they still get to be a little bit closer to your parents. They still get to have a little more support. All right. And then just allow yourself to look into the future. Take a moment here to feel what that feels like. And if it feels okay, you might even want to lean back into your parents a little bit. Allow yourself to feel their support. Awesome. And then gently blink your eyes open. How was that for you, Oliver? That was really beautiful. I've never um, felt my family in that way. And I think when, when the visualization opens up, there's just kind of like this scattered lack of order to it. But then there's just, there's a, I don't know, there's a there's a way where the the puzzle pieces kind of fall into place with the completion of the exercise, and I got a lot of goosebumps. That's awesome. Yeah. So many of us have the family systems that you just described, where it feels like people are scattered around the room, and some people might be sitting or looking out the window, and that usually pretty much represents what's going on in real life. And when we put everybody back into place, love between individuals can flow again. And it feels like everybody has enough space to walk into the future. So if, if your family system is in the right order, you'll see there's nothing in front of you. So you can actually move into the future. Or we could put your business in front of you, or we could put your kids in front of you so you could you know, then support them. So it's really important that we're in the right order because otherwise there's kind of not enough space for us to thrive. It's like a room that's full of cluttered furniture. Mm-hmm. If you put all the furniture where it belongs, we can walk around the room and the room becomes functional. So when I start um, transforming my own uh, experience or idea of my family system, how does that affect things in reality? Like when I'm, you know, some people have um, different kinds of relationships with with their siblings, with their parents. Um, so if, when we're doing this work with you, uh, one-on-one and we're healing our own, our own wounds and our own traumas, um, what is the ripple effect into the, the reality of things? Like if we have, um, you know, families split up or distant or not, not speaking, like how, how do you see that working out there? Oh, that's such a good question. So it does have very tangible effects and that's where, cause I am not that tapped into the, um, the scientific side. A lot of the science that family conservation, conservation therapy is based on in the research is something I'm really grateful for but I don't fully get get it to that extent because it all talks about, you know, the DNA and biology. So I don't fully get all that, 
But what's so fascinating to me is that it really has very tangible effects. And the way that I can describe this is that when we do a constellation, your family is present. So it might have felt like you were just doing a visualization just now, but your family was present because they're connected to the morphic field. And this is where it gets really trippy and cool. So I love family constellation therapy, especially for people who are not able to be in the same room as the person they need a healing with. So in my example, um, there are some family members who have been so abusive that I wasn't able to be in the same room with them to do talk therapy, you know, or some of my clients' parents passed away or somebody is in jail. It's just not possible to talk to them and get them into the same room. And usually that approach isn't as effective. So instead we do constellations and people are present in this way and really tangible changes happen. So something very common that happens is that a parent who was a little bit absent all of a sudden starts to call my client or all of a sudden my client um, gets an email. You know, something that happened to me was I didn't know that I had two older sisters and all of a sudden two older sisters found me, you know, after doing a constellation. Um, or my relationship to my mom has completely changed. I thought I was never gonna have a mom and now I have a mom. And this is, it, I, I really can't explain to you how exactly this happens, but it is interesting how we can heal family systems and people's behavior changes just from doing constellations within the morphic field. Hmm. And I also imagine just, you know, the, the placement um, in the exercise, right? When we place ourselves in a specific order, it changes, you know, what's in front of us, what's behind us, what's in our way is no longer in our way. Um, that's kind of how I felt. I felt like there's a, you, you kind of, even with just a placement of it, there's almost this innate understanding of what your role would be just standing exactly where you are in relative in relation to the other people in your family. Like that's what I found. It's, you don't even have to say what it is. It's just kind of like where you're standing um, kind of says it all. Is that, is that accurate? I love that. The cool thing about you is that you're so sensitive that you notice those things. So what you just experienced was the information that's already stored in the, in the morphic field of your family system. There is a knowing of, where you belong. And what I look for as a family constellation therapist is this feeling of relief of things clicking into place, like the puzzle pieces that you talked about earlier. So we want things, it's like a chiropractic alignment for a family system where you don't feel different. You, it just feels right. It feels like things are where they need to be. And you don't need to learn how to be a son or how to be a daughter because that innate awareness is stored in the morphic field anyway. You know, it's like when a bird is, is born and the egg falls out of the nest and it grows up on the opposite, uh, opposite side of the forest with a different bird family, the bird still knows how to behave like a bird um, based on the family that it's from. So, you know, if a little raven grows up with, I don't know, um, some other bird, like it's still gonna be a raven because it's connected to that morphic field and it has all the information it needs to follow its family system and its behaviors. This is the, the cool thing, because otherwise we would basically be able to put cats in the environment of, of dogs, and they would need to behave like dogs, and yet cats don't do that, because the morphic field informs them on how they need to behave. So yes, there's so much information in the field that we naturally tap into when things click back into place. 
How does the the morphic field, uh, family constellations, uh, impact the work that we do? This is oh, I so love way, your question. Yeah, because it, the clients that I work with are all about living with meaning and leading with purpose. And you know, a lot of the times, it it really comes down to taking a deep look and doing some really you know, important self inquiry work, which, you know, I could see how this would fit into that, you know, understanding, okay, what is the dynamics of my family and how has the, the experiences that I've had growing up affected my path or how has some of these traumas interrupted the flow of my life or uh, redirected the flow of my life. And, um, you know, a lot of those things begin to contribute to, okay, what did it, what is it that I'm here to, to share and create and in what unique way am I here to serve others? Um, yeah. Can you share what the, what the implications are on a, you know, on a business and a, a career level, professional level? Yeah. So most of us think that we're self led people and that we make decisions just like that. And something that I found as a result of having worked with so many people is that there is a very clear pattern that we follow our family system. So as, as humans, our number one need is to follow our family system and to belong to our family system, because if we don't do that, there's a felt sense that we will die. So without our families, there's a feeling inside of us, I won't be able to survive. And so most of the choices that we make in life is out of love to our family system. So a child that chooses to become a lawyer, just like the grandpa who passed away really tragically, you know, when he was 50, you know, we oftentimes kind of feel that there is an unresolved fate in the family system and we step in and we want to bring this fate to, to fruition in a way. So we oftentimes pick professions or, or um, businesses out of love to our family system. So many of my clients that come to me and say, I feel a really strong call to be a healer, a therapist, or a coach are oftentimes the people who say, my family system has been through so much pain, no more. I want to learn how to fix this. Um, Or some people will say, you know, I really wanted to be an artist because it feels like it's the right thing for me. And yet I went into the profession of my mother. So I became a dentist. So most of our career decisions are really influenced by our family systems and in a way that's really beautiful. You know, we we do these things out of love. It just sometimes gets tricky when it blocks us. So I personally, I think I then, you know, reluctantly chose my business (laughs) because my, my, my family system wanted to heal. I really, really wanted to heal. And so there must have been a deeper part of me that was like, I'm the person who's really going to get her hands dirty and make this happen. Been through enough pain, like all those addiction um, cycles and all that, you know, aggression and violence. It's going to have to stop. Like I'll be the last generation on my side who's going to be playing out those patterns. So I do feel that our family systems affect that very strongly. And, and I mean, your, your capacity to be able to, to do that, to create that, to experience it, it comes from somewhere. It almost feels like, you know, the dreams and aspirations of the family, they don't really die. They just continue to be passed on until uh, it's, the, it's the timing of the generation to kind of execute around it. 
That's I don't so know. What do you beautiful. what do you think? What do you think of that idea? Yeah. I also noticed just recently because um, I grew up in Germany. I have an American family, moved to um, Indonesia, moved to Amsterdam. Now I live in London. It's really interesting. I always thought I would be doing that on my own. I'm also the first person to graduate from university. I'm the first person to run our own business in many generations. We thought, oh, I'm such a self-guided person, <laughs> not influenced by family at all. And then but... <laughs> it was interesting. I recently realized all those dreams I'm realizing are dreams my mom had. Wow. All of them down to the T, which doesn't mean that I don't love my life. Of course, I'm glad to have had all those experiences. I love my clients. Like it's wonderful to have a business. And it's really interesting. It's almost like I wanted to honor my family system by realizing all those dreams that they couldn't realize. It's like I'm saying, you know, even though you weren't able to, I'm going to go do those things. I'm going to honor you and hold you in my heart as I'm realizing all those dreams that we've had. And I'm going to turn our family's fate around to a fate where things are a lot easier. I find that to be incredible. Like that is so beautiful to me. And what, what shows up for me as you're talking about that is I was having lunch with my dad a couple of weeks ago, and that's not something that we do normally. It's something that I'm working towards. You know, I want to spend more time with, with each individual in my family one-on-one um, to, to really to reconnect and get to know everybody at a human level. And um, one of the things that I was talking about with my dad is like, he didn't realize that my sister is like this viral YouTube YouTuber. Like she has videos with millions and millions and millions of views. And she's done it over and over and over and over and over again. So she's really good at it. And he had no idea. And when I, when I brought that up to him, I said, remember when you first started being a videographer and you had so much fun editing those videos for those weddings that you filmed and how proud you were? And then the dots just connected right in front of my eyes. Amazing. Because it was a business that he started and he kind of just, he let go of because he just decided to commit to the work he was already doing. But I'm just like, huh, I wonder where she gets that from. That's what I said to him. Yeah. We all follow our families very closely in so many different ways. Sometimes reluctantly. (laughs) Sometimes reluctantly, but we always follow them. And what I'm really interested in is to help my clients have more consciousness around how they follow their family systems. They can see, oh, following my family system in this way, this actually works for me. I like it. You know, or I'm following a family system this other way. Very destructive. Don't want to follow them in that way anymore. So we need to bond with our families either way. It's just about following them in positive ways. And for your sister, it's a really beautiful example that she's kind of honoring your dad and they have that connection with the video. For other people, how we follow our family systems could be through addiction or it could be through having relationship issues or it could be through having severe money ups and downs. And in that case, oftentimes it's also tied into a deeper dynamic of having rejected that parent or feeling abandoned by that parent then we kind of follow them in negative ways. But your example is really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, like, I don't know if you know the show This Is Us. I haven't seen it. It's such a powerful show. Like we're literally, me and Jenna are literally, you know, our hearts are touched and we're in tears almost every single episode. And it's kind of a intergenerational family story 
where they show, you know, flashbacks, flash forwards and present day. And there's this really incredible, I hate to, this is a spoiler for people, but there's a, the first episode of the season that was just released was like the main character, the mom, she was talking about how she's a, you know, she's a, she sings in bars and she has this dream to be a singer. And she just was talking about this dream. You know, I could see myself standing on stage in front of thousands of people and singing and performing for them. And, you know, we know her story up until this point because they show her present day and she's a grandma and all this stuff. And she never really lived that. She became, um, you know, the, the mom of, of the family and was a full time doing that. But then they introduced this new character and we're like, who is this? Who's this new character? And they keep showing this person and he's preparing to go on stage and start singing in front of thousands of people right when they drop the fact that he's the grandson he's the grandson of the main character and he's he's the one who's fulfilling that dream of being on stage and singing and per, singing and performing in front of thousands of people and once that that puzzle piece dropped i was just like oh my god that is just the best that's amazing it really expresses kind of you know what i'm hearing from you yeah it's just fascinating and what's so cool is that it completely goes beyond conscious awareness it's something that's wired into our bodies. It's something that's wired into a really deep part of us. All those family patterns and our need to follow our family system goes as deep as the genetic code. This is what epigenetics found out. And it's just, I don't know, I'm every day I'm still just seeing my jaw drop to the floor. <laughs> it's, it's so fascinating and awesome. Tell me about um, poverty and money and scarcity and, you know, uh, up and down ups and downs with money and like uh, and how it relates with doing this kind of work yeah so money is a big topic in family constellations yeah it's, it's another one of those topics where many people will say but i read all the money books or done all the hypnosis and i i know i should be saving it just feels like money is running through my fingers or it just feels like I make a lot of money, but then something happens and I always lose it. And sometimes clients even come to me and they're like, Hannah, I think I'm cursed. And then usually we look at the family system, ah, <laughs> uh, I don't think you're cursed. Let me explain what's going on with you. Um, and so let me reiterate. So the number one need of a human being is to belong to their family system. Your need to belong to your family system is more important than your need to be famous, your need to be skinny, your need to be rich, your need to be popular, your need to bring your dreams to fruition, your need to have a, a mate. Your need to belong to your family system is the number one need. And when you think about your family system, especially in a financial sense, um, what, do, what do your finances need to look like in order to feel like you belong? Is there a pattern of ups and downs in your family system? Has somebody very tragically lost a lot of money? In my family system, yes. You know, in World War II, my, my family, my mom's side, both on my, my grandma and my grandpa, they lost everything. Um, my dad's side has always been very poor. So in order for me to belong to my family system, I need to be poor. So for a long time in my life, it felt like it was always kind of just getting by and Conversely, I also have some clients who come from very wealthy families, and sometimes that wealth was created at the expense of somebody else, so it wasn't necessarily ethical wealth, and then my clients come to me and they say, you know, I have a lot of money, and I really hate it because I know that it was something that wasn't created ethically, 
or my clients come from very wealthy families and it feels like they need to make a lot of money in order to belong. So they might choose jobs like becoming a doctor when really what they would like is to, to do a different profession. It's just that it's so important for them to be in a profession where they earn a lot of money. So basically your finances are very much influenced by the finances of your family system. There is a wealth set point and the wealth set point is how much money is are people allowed in your family system to have so that they belong? And so sometimes, you know, I'll hear business coaches say something like, oh, just like double the price or slap another zero on it. And the problem with that is that if it directly goes against my, my clients' wealth set point based on their family system, that doesn't necessarily work. You know, we can't just put out random numbers because a part of us could be like, oh my God, I'm leaving my family system behind. I'm about to die. I need to sabotage my business. Can't take on any more clients. Need to let my business just kind of go up in flames. Um, or they just kind of come to a screeching halt. Yeah, I feel like you're, you're adding a whole other layer of something that I'm, I'm in, I've, I believe that I'm in tune with, which is there's a level of loneliness and separation that occurs if we claim our value, claim our worth and actually become more abundant. Cause it's almost like, well, if I do do, if I do accomplish this, will I leave my family behind? Will I be completely unrelatable? Am I isolating myself? Am I differentiating myself so much that I'm just not in this tribe anymore? Yeah. And that usually happens when we very strongly bond with our family system through money. So that's what I talked about earlier. You need to bond either way. You can't not bond with your family system because it's like a prerequisite for survival. We just, we can then look at, you know, if you, if you are bonding in very negative ways by really limiting your finance, your earning potential, then how can you bond in a different way? So I can use my own example. I used to have terrible finances. My mom has terrible finances. No one in my family system basically has a grip on their money except for my grandpa. And so I started talking to my grandpa about money. So we bond through money because he's good at money. With none of my other family members, I talk about money and I talk about other things. So my mom is really adventurous. So we go skiing together. I ski, uh, she skis, I snowboard. So that's a way that we bond. She loves gardening. So I call her up for gardening tips. She loves to travel. So she comes to visit me in the different countries that I've lived. So it's really important if you're bonding with your family system in a negative way financially, think about it. Like how can you bond with them in a better way? How can you honor them and bring them into your life in a way that's not through money? And the mm -hmm. more you do that, it's like leaning from one foot onto the other. And when you lean more into the positive, into the other way of connecting with them, there's not so much pressure on the financial part and you're kind of free to earn as much money as you want. You know, I'm not a big fan of talking about my finances because I feel like it's kind of irrelevant. Like what's a lot, a lot of money is so different from person to person, but I now feel like I'm a very wealthy woman. And the big turning point for me was really to, to say like my money has nothing to do with family. I bond with my family in other ways and we don't talk about money at all, which then freed me up to basically, you know, earn any amount that I would want. Mm. Wow. So so one of the best ways uh, from your perspective is to acknowledge the fact that we are naturally looking for ways to bond with our family system. 
and we have to address and look at is it constructive or is it destructive is it is it um, supporting me or is it you know taking me further away from what it is that I want to accomplish and then uh, when we see that and we look at that that can determine that helps us determine what conversations we allow ourselves to have with certain members of our family and um, is that is that kind of is that is that what I'm hearing yeah definitely and then you're, you're still gonna bond yeah you you still have to bond there is no way around bonding so many of us move away cut out our parents and sometimes we do need to set very healthy clear and strong boundaries because not all of our family members are always safe to be around but we do need to bond with them in some way and the other thing that i can recommend is to take it slow it's kind of like when you're trying to financially surpass your family system by doing things a little bit better a little bit differently it's like you're a baby who's who wants to run so being rich is running and you're currently a little baby who has to get there. So how do we do that? At first you learn to sit uh, and then you start to crawl and then you start to stand and then you start to walk and then all of a sudden you can run and then you get really fast. So the same with your money. So, you know, taking the example of a business owner, if you currently earn a certain amount, maybe you can raise your, um, raise your income to five more percent next year, four percent, and then 20 more percent. And at some point we can even stress you to double that. Then we can stretch you to triple that. Then we can stretch you to quadruple that. It's totally possible to do that. It's just that we can't expect you to go from being a baby that's always lying around to someone who's running. So it makes a lot more sense to take it slow and to just kind of expand your money and then acclimate and then do a little bit more and acclimate rather than try to make huge leaps that just end you feeling like you want to sabotage yourself. Wow. You, you've given me so much to sit with and think about and um, take action on in my own life, let alone, you know, I'm betting a lot of people who are listening to this are going to benefit so, so greatly from, from this wisdom, from this insight. You're so, um, you're a very deep thinker and a deep feeler. And uh, I'm so glad it's helpful. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it really, the helpful part to me is, the approach that you take is very, um, it's kind of gradual. Like there's a way that you, there's an entry point and you kind of let people start leaning into it as opposed to, cause I'm, I'm betting like this is, this is the one-on-one, right? Like you can drop bombs that just overwhelms us and just paralyzes us. But you know, you introduce things in a way that allows it to be, you know, digestible and get, gives us enough to chew on, to sit with so that we can, kind of start taking steps forward in our lives. This is great. Thank you so much. Makes me smile. So I want to be respectful of your time and ask you a couple more questions before we, before we wrap up. I'd love that. So um, who would you say are the people that need to look into the work that you're doing? Who are the people that need to be in touch with you and contact you? I would say... It's the people who feel like their lives aren't flowing the way they should. So ideally, you would be having a very strong flow of money in your life. And you would have a strong flow of love. And you would have a strong flow of health and a strong flow of self-esteem. And when it feels like your life isn't flowing, there's some 
discord in your family system that needs to be resolved. And what what is the most important challenge or what do you what do you see as the most important challenge facing people who are doing, you know, healing work, personal growth work? Um, what do you think is missing the most out there? I do think it's the family piece. Family like it's not getting talked about enough? Yeah. And then so family consultation therapy is very well known in Germany, in the Netherlands, in Argentina, Chile. And many of my clients are American and I'm on many American podcasts and, you know, Canadian podcasts as well. And part of why I'm kind of really interested to, to talking about Northern American people is because it's so unknown still, you know, and so many of us really have those problems and we don't know that tools exist and we might do things like talk therapy and it oftentimes just kind of brings things to the surface, but then no real healing is happening. So I do think taking our families into account when healing is the big missing piece because that's where most of our issues come from. Are there any uh, books or, or resources that you recommend for us that might not be well known? Yeah. So the founder of Family Constellation Therapy is called Bert Hellinger. He was a German missionary in the 60s, and he actually traveled to South Africa to um, convert the Zulu tribes. And when he arrived, he noticed that the Zulu tribes did not need converting. They were actually pretty happy. And he ended up learning from them about family dynamics. So family constellation therapy is also very much influenced by um, his experience with the Zulu tribes and what he observed um, in terms of how they, how they interacted with each other. So he's the founder, and his books are pretty amazing. He thinks of himself as more of a philosopher. Um, so for any of you guys who are interested, um, picking up one of his books would be good. I just want to, there's just a little caveat. So Bert Hellinger is very controversial. He has made some bold statements, some of which he has taken back. So he used to say that um, being gay is a dysfunctional dynamic and you know, he then backtracked and actually corrected that statement. Um, many of the things we talk about as family constellation therapists go against what, what, what societies think about certain topics, because it's more that we look at, we look at a family system, we kind of see what helps the family system thrive. And it's really, it's, it's not connected to a society, like family systems work the same all over the planet. And sometimes we kind of step on people's toes and we say things that people don't want to hear. So if you read his book, don't take it as capital truth. Just kind of go into his perspective and how he thinks about family systems. Because I don't want you guys to like buy his books and just gasp when you open them. Some things <laughs> might be controversial. I appreciate the heads up. Um, where do you see yourself five years from now? Oh... I would like to have a second home somewhere tropical, like kind of like a villain's lair that's on the top of a cliff <laughs> looking the ocean made of glass. That's kind of what I'm looking into right now. I love living in London, but I think I'd like to have that. And currently writing my first book and I would like in five years, I would like to have published a couple books. That would have been, that would be awesome. Yeah. What's something outrageous that you want for yourself, like to experience or accomplish that sounds, sounds crazy. It's like, who, who am I to really, to say that I want this, or this is my dream. This is my vision. Oh God. 
Yeah. What's something that you won't even let yourself say out loud or even admit to yourself? Like, I don't know why, but I can see myself. I want to be, I don't know, be on stage in front of a million people or. So I think this is again, a case of my soul telling me what I'm going to do and my personality self being like, nah. Okay. (laughs) So what's the soul saying? So my soul is saying that I would like to take my methodology and make it really big and really accessible. And I've worked with over a thousand people now. And I think it should be something that's, you know, going into the millions where there's books about my method. There's courses about my method. Tons of people have access to this and that it's really revolutionizing the way healing is being done. That's what I would like. So we, we didn't directly talk about success today. I mean, I mean, all of this kind of, it all contributes to us being able to live and experience our own version, our own definition of success. But, um, you know, you call yourself a soulful success coach. I would love to know what success means to you. How would you define it in your own words? Yeah, to me, success is having a life that fits like a life that fits me, the relationship that fits, the home that fits, the business that fits, just me doing life the way it fits. That's just kind of my definition of success and having a lot of fun. What do you do for fun? Uh, I like to jump on my bed. (laughs) I... I like to chase dogs around the park. I'm not sure if you're supposed to do that, but there's just so many cute dogs around here. And I tell jokes all the time. When I lived in Amsterdam, I was a stand-up comedian because it just felt like I was accumulating so many jokes. And my friends listen to me a lot and my boyfriend as well. So I do tell jokes basically 24-7. And my clients also get lots of jokes and stuff. But it just felt like I had so many jokes accumulating that I needed to be on stage to share those. So I think a lot of my source of fun is just joking all the time. (laughs) I love it. So tell us about where we can find you. Of course. So my website is hannahbeer.com. It's H-A-N-N-A-B-I-E-R.com. And you are welcome to email me, contact me, read my blog. And you're also welcome to book a free session with me. So I offer free 30-minute sessions where you can tell me about your situation and I can kind of diagnose you a little bit and we can see, you know, if I have a program that can help you with what you're, with what's going on for you. Based on the conversation that we had today, what is one thing that we can take action on? Mm. We talked about so much. Oh, The thing that's coming up is to honor those who came before you. This is something that we in our modern day societies really aren't doing much of anymore. And it creates a lot of discord. So if you're in business, honor the people who taught you, honor the people who helped develop and do the research that you're now using um, in your family system. You know, if you are the second wife of somebody, honor the first wife. If you are... Um, you know, on parents, you know, in relationships, it's the first thing that I do when somebody says my husband and I are struggling. I'm like, are you the first or the second wife? Are you honoring the person who came before you helped shape your husband into the man he is today? Right. 
so important to honor the order of things. So if you can do yourself a favor and think about who are the people who helped shape you to become the person you are today and really honor and thank them. Don't take it flippantly. Like having the gift of life is a privilege. It's a really big honor. That's a beautiful way to complete this conversation. Hannah, thank you so much for being on the show. What a pleasure. I had a really great time too. (laughs) I am so excited about the work that you're doing. Thank you. You're always welcome to come back and expand on this conversation. I I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I would love that, Oliver. I'd be so honored. (laughs) All right. Have a wonderful day. Bye.